Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Thanks for tuning in again to your weekly dose of a Christian worldview applied to our current contemporary culture. And uh, we we're so grateful again for you. And thank you for, for watching in. Uh, you know, this uh, season that we're living in, it's hard for me to frame the importance of it. You know, we, we just saw something that in our lifetime, uh, I'm a bit older than you, but since 1973, I was around in 1973 uh, with, with the infamous Roe v. Wade ruling uh, coming down. Uh, we're, we're coming to an opportunity, a historic opportunity, especially as Hoosiers, to really define um, uh, the, the abortion and life as we move forward and really begin creating Indiana as a, uh, as a beacon, as a state that promotes life and liberty throughout the nation. Uh, and um, the uh, special session that has been called in Indiana to deal with this was moved from earlier this month to uh, now the, uh, I believe Monday the 26th, will be the uh, opening of the special session uh, to address the abortion issue in Indiana. And again, I, sometimes when you're living in the midst of history, it's hard to realize the incredible moment in which we have uh, to make history. Uh, and how important that is. Uh, you know, uh, many folks were not around or had no input in the in the uh, Roe v. Wade decision back in 1973, but we do have a say in what happens here in 2022 uh, as it relates to how we move forward. And so, I got a couple bits of information I just want to share with you as we're as we're getting information. We'll be talking more about this on Sunday. Um, but uh, the first one being there's a stand for life rally on Monday, July 25th at the State House, beginning at noon and going to about 2:30. Um, that is a stand for life rally, Indiana State House on Monday the 25th, and then on Tuesday the Indiana Right to Life uh, is hosting a what they're calling Love Them Both rally. Uh, and you can go to the website lovethemboth.com to register for this event. Uh, it begins at 11 o'clock. That's a Tuesday, July 26th rally. So two different events. And the reason why we're promoting this is because it's so critically important from what we're hearing that those of us who love life and who value life um, are there in in body to stand and to promote uh, and to support our legislatures uh, uh, and to encourage them to do what's right. Um, we know the opposition is going to be there. They're going to be loud. They're going to be vocal. They're going to they're be angry. They're going to be, uh, I've already seen videos. Uh, we know what that crowd is like. Uh, they're going to be present. And it's just so important that we're there uh, to let our elected officials know that we are the majority in this state and we uh, want to see a culture of life, you know, recreated. So. And that's, you know, I just say, when I, even as I say this, this is not normal for most of us. We're trying to raise our kids, work our jobs, uh, you know, do, do all the things that we do just in normal life. We're not activists by nature. We're not people that show up and, you know, protest or whatever. That's just kind of not who we are by nature. But it is who we need to be. Um, again, not protesters, but we need to we need to stand for life. We need to we need to be there. We need to open our mouths. We need to declare the truth. We need to be salt and light. And that's just something that I think many Christians are a little bit, you know, awkward with doing. But we gotta we gotta move beyond our awkwardness. We have to show up. Yeah, we don't have the luxury of the pay agitators to. Uh, <laughs> to come to rallies and so forth. Absolutely. Uh, so we have to actually do it because we have we have uh, convictions. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And and it's all about the rule of law and restoring yeah. the rule of law. And 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 you know, as we preached from God's word, restoring a, a, a biblical theology of life that begins with the truth that all life is sacred. 
So as we're looking to promote righteousness in, in law, especially as it relates to abortion, we need to start from the cornerstone principle that God created life. We talked about this in our last podcast, that life is made in the image and likeness of God, which gives it incredible value, and that every single life, no matter what extenuating circumstances, every single life is valuable and should be honored and should be celebrated and should be given a chance to live. You know, health, yeah. uh, abortion is not health care. I, I saw a great meme that said, abortion, if abortion is health care, then slavery is job creation. <laughs> uh, and of course, that's, you know, it drives the point home. Slavery is not job creation. It's a terrible injustice and abortion is not health care. It is actually the destruction of human life. And so we need to be promoting these truths and declaring these truths over and over and over again, even as the, the pro-choice side, pro-death side has been promoting lies over and over again for uh, for now almost 50 years. So I really want to encourage everybody to, to, to show up. Also, I wanted to, this is a, a brand new book that Ryan Anderson uh, and Alexandra uh, DeSantis are coming out with called Tearing Us Apart. Encourage everybody to pick up a copy of that book. And, uh, and in the book, uh, they say, Roe removed nearly every question about abortion policy from the hands of the American people and placed the issue into the hands of unelected judges, even though the Constitution contains nothing that could remotely support a right to abortion. And so you hear a lot of people now talking about, uh, you know, the courts stripped us of our rights. That's not true, as we know. There has been no stripping of rights. What's happened is we're finally getting back to the way our, our nation was conceived, and that's allowing local people, local legislatures, to weigh in on the abortion issue. Yeah. Uh, and not an unelected body of judges who basically what we've seen over the last 50 years is the left realizes that they cannot push their agenda forward in a normal electoral process. In other words, they're not going to get votes uh, to push their agenda. So they, ever since Roe, they have largely looked to the courts to shove their agenda down the throats of the American people. And if they can just elect enough uh, liberal, you know, or, or place enough liberal judges on the courts, then they can push their agenda, even though the American people find it offensive. Um, well, this is not going to be the case anymore because now this is going back to the people, which is the way it should be. Yeah, and people talk about these conservative justices. No, I don't like those terms. No. Democrat, Republican justice. It politicizes the court. Absolutely. The, 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 what you're looking for is judges who are doing their job, which is... We even have a term originalist because I don't know what other terms should they be. You interpret the law based on the Constitution, and the Constitution is, you know, probably the greatest hindrance to all these different things that the the, the woke radical left is trying to push. Right. So I I, I remember uh, I listened to a podcast. They talk about how I guess Justice Alito is in his opinion on on this case. He they went through two tests. These are tests that judges should go through. First of all, is is the is this right enshrined in the Constitution, such right. as right to bear arms or right for free speech? Is not. Yeah. The second test they do is would the founders or when they when they enshrine those things, would they have understood this particular issue? Uh, in context of, of what's going on based on their time. Right. And they look back then and it's like, no, that's not the case. Yeah. In other so, words, you know, and there was nobody supporting of abortion back at the framing of our Constitution. I mean, that would, would have been shocking for anybody. Or, or I think they used like the whatever amendment, the uh, privacy, whatever amendment. Right. And when they passed that amendment, that wasn't the, that wasn't the discussion of the issue. Right. So, so again, 
to me, those are those clear way. Those clear rules are great ways for not just for us, for everybody, because it gives it provides framework and constraints on the justices. So they're not just like I feel like it or it seems right to me. You have to be based. The, the, the Supreme Court, all the justices, should be under a constraint of law. Right? Exactly. And, exactly. and so, so people might not like the decision, but they got to understand this is good for the nation because there's a constraint. I, I don't like it when conservative judges make stuff out of their own either. No. Be under the constraint of the law, you know, we're yeah. all accountable to something. Well, this is interesting because even even the the uh, judges who would not be strict originalists, all right, like Ruth Gader Ginsburg, for instance, yeah. who you know was strongly in support of abortion. She called the right to choose, uh, a in legal terms, she said Roe was a heavy, quote, heavy-handed judicial intervention. In other words, the court stepped in with a heavy hand and intervened and just made a decision uh, that was, as she said, when you use heavy-handed, that means that the court took a lot of liberty. Uh, yeah, we would call it activism. Yeah, she's, you know, she's the icon for... Yeah, for, the, for, for all the those different things. Yeah, so so again, like she understood that legally that was a stretch. Yeah, and, and that's and that's been the whole point. Regardless of where you stand on the abortion issue, the, ju the justices admit that that was a stretch. It was creating rights that didn't that were not in the Constitution out of thin air to make a decision on an issue and then and then very much politicize the issue because uh, these issues again were meant to be decided locally at the at the most local level. Uh, hearing the voices of the people uh, and and that it's not happened. Now we see a situation where almost every case is politicized and every case is an act of judicial activism. Yeah, and what that does is cause more of a division in the country. You know, just to decide it in court does not settle the case in any way. The, in the case, hearts of the people. Yeah, yeah. in the case, it's just got more volatile and more yeah. divisive yeah. in so, America today. Yep, yeah. exactly. So, so let's get involved. That's the bottom line. Get involved. Please, we're going we're gonna to be providing uh, phone numbers. Call your elected officials. Encourage them. If you can't get down there, uh, please call. Weigh in on the issue. Your voice really does matter, and it's for such a time as this. And just think of, again, the lives that are at stake in America. I was just told by, by one of our uh, elected officials uh, that because other states already have trigger laws in effect surrounding us, outlawing abortion, that there's been a huge influx of people coming from other states to Indiana mm -hmm. because we have not ruled on the issue uh, to to receive abortions, uh, which is a tragedy. You know, so here Indiana now is becoming through through Planned Parenthood and the, the abortion industry, uh, we're actually facilitating abortions from states around us. Uh, who have you know drawn a line? So we really do need to act. We need to act quickly, and human life is at stake. And uh, so get involved. So let's get back, and we're going to continue our discussion on a, a strange new world that we have been introducing. Like, how in the world do we get to where we are today, uh, especially in the area of sexual ethics? And we began this discussion a few weeks ago by simply bringing up a, a an illustration. I would say hypothetical, but it's not really hypothetical. It's very practical of the phrase, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. Now, if you were a physician and I came to you back in, say, the 1950s, and I said, Dr. Andrew, you know, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. How would you, what would be your treatment plan? 
I wasn't exactly sure. But, you know, to me, that it would be seen as a mental illness. Right. You know, if I took it seriously, seriously, if I didn't think you were joking around with me, I would say, hey, we probably need to go see us. You know? so, so my mind is telling me something that does not correspond with my physical reality. Right. And therefore, you have to you have to either make two choices. Either I bring my mind in alignment with and my inner feelings or my psychological self in alignment with my body, mm. or I have to change my body and try to bring it in alignment with my psychological uh, reality. So in other words, there's only two options there. You, back in the, say, the 1950s, would have landed on the option that the mind needs to be brought in alignment with the body. Mm. The body is the, is the determiner. Your biological reality is what determines who you are. Yep. But nowadays, just the opposite is happening. And I go to Dr. Andrew and he would say, well, here's your options. Basically, uh, transgender therapies to, to bring your body in line with how, what you're feeling about yourself. And then we're asking the question, how do we get there? What gave the inner psychological realm of feelings the, the authority, the yeah. definitive authority to determine the course of action. Uh, by the way, I mean, the, these types of issues happens in other realm, and we have clarity in other realm. I read the article discussing the, this type of issue with like anorexia, for example, because you know, yeah, great I, point. I, I don't want to stand out very deeply. I, I look into it, but the article basically says, you know, anorexia, you feel like you are obese, even though you're not. So you keep fasting, even though, so, so there's a disconnect between your physical reality, what everyone else sees is what your doctor might see, and what your mind perceives, which is how you look to yourself. So, so this is a right? great example. So everybody around you is going, honey, you need to eat. You're literally starving yourself to death. Yeah. But the person, if we're celebrating their authenticity and yeah. their inner self and their inner feelings, they're saying, no, I'm fat, I'm overweight. And we're like, no, your bones are sticking out. As far as I know, people, I mean, maybe things have changed now, but as far as I know, people still in this in, med, in the medical world, they see that and they treat you to deal with your the, your mental illness to try to align your mind with what... Because if they don't, you're going to destroy yourself. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that we could make the same argument. Sure for the transgenderism. So you know? the authentic self has a slippery slope if you talk about other issues. Right. 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 And and yeah, so anyways, yeah. So it's only it's only used in the realm of sexuality, basically. I pers- I, I'm, I'm I'm nervous you'll move to other areas too. So I don't know. I mean yeah. I, ask me in a few years. Yeah. Yeah, so, but, but but it's interesting. Like we say, because this is the problem. This worldview is very highly selective yeah. in its application. And when you try to apply it to other situations that are the same, it kind of bl- it blows up, it falls apart. Yeah. At least at this point it does. Right, right. Um, so, you know, we're make, also making the statement that, that this decision today to now begin to, to basically mutilate one's body to try to conform it to a gender that it was not created as um, is not a scientific decision. In other words, the, science can talk about the body and science can explore the mind, but science cannot talk about authority, philosophical authority, you know, why one has authority over the other. Those are philosophical or, or theological discussions. It's not scientific discussions. But now, so so, so even the, all the debate today cannot be put under the banner of, well, this is what science is, is showing. This is not what science is showing. In fact, it's really kind of anti-science. And yet that's the direction, you know, that we're moving. But let's talk a little bit about this. You know, the Bible deals with recognize the awareness of our inner selves and our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, we got David in the Psalms, which I love the Psalms. You know, David many times is saying, you know, talking to himself, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. He's recognizing the reality of 
his depression or his anxiety or his fear. Over and over again, we see this in the Bible. The Apostle Paul uh, is struggling with the fact that inside he's, he's, he's got lust, he's got desires that you know are not godly. And he's aware of those desires, and, and he's wrestling with those desires. Yeah. Uh, St. Augustine wrote his um, uh, treatise called Confessions, where he, he revealed the inner workings of his, of his heart and some of the dark things he was struggling with, and you know, just wrestling with, with flesh and sin and, and all of those things. And so the Bible recognizes that. How would, how would you say the Bible, though, the tre- our understanding of the Bible is different than the current understanding of of inner feelings and self. Yeah, I think I think you and I talked about this before. Uh, we're not anti-emotions, nor are we, are we anti-introspection. We're not just saying like, you know what, like, doesn't matter what you care, how you feel, yeah. just do it, uh, suck it up in all arenas. And we we have gone through a series talking about the importance of dealing with shame yeah. and dealing with emotions. Getting your heart healed. Getting your heart healed. Emotions are important. Emotions are the, we call it a dashboard of what's going on in our body. Right. But there's a, there's a, there's a big difference between paying attention to our emotions, caring for our emotions, getting healthy emotions versus allowing our emotions and our deep areas of introspection, introspection to become our compass. Yeah, or our, yeah, our authority. Authority, yeah. So, so you and I, when we analyze what's going on on the inside, we do it through an external grid, recognizing there is a God, we're created by God, our emotions are part of us, but our emotions are not the whole story. Uh, and that our, from a Christian perspective, recognizing that our emotions are very fickle and they're actually a very lousy guide to reality, although we don't deny that they're real. But but I guess we have, we recognize there's an external reality greater than our internal feelings. Yeah, we recognize. I mean, how many times like at night you're super tired and you're just like everything's wrong and like everything gets on your nerve. Your wife gets on your kids on your nerve and, you, and your wife is like, uh, you should probably go take a nap. Or go to, just go to bed. Yeah, right. You're, you're not in the next state. morning. Uh, you're just like, wow, I feel so much better. Or how about this? You're starving and you, everything annoys you. And someone throws you a Snicker bar or you, you eat a meal. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, I mean, those are the moments that tells me like, wow, my emotions are fickle. Yeah. And, and so even as we do perform introspection, as we process emotion, a lot of times I process emotion with someone else because here's the big issue. We recognize because we're limited humans, we have mega blind spots. Yeah. And, and, and you, when it's your blind spot, it's your blind spot. You cannot overcome your blind spot or it wouldn't be your blind spot. That's why any other people, external forces, external context, like the Bible, like my friends, my wife, to come and say, hey, I know you feel this way, but yeah. you're a little bit out of context right now. Right. So you, you slightly overreacted yes. or or why don't you pause a minute before you act on those internal impulses because yeah. they might not lead you to a good place or take a nap yeah which tells you that your physical condition can can influence you know your body yeah uh, can influence your emotions yeah uh, they all it all works together but it's interesting and we're going to look at a couple major historical figures today um thought leaders uh, that laid some of the seedbed of how we got into the crazy world in which we're living today, where whatever I feel is real and you have to validate and celebrate it and et cetera, et cetera. And one of those major thinkers is, is a uh, philosopher called Rene Descartes. Uh, he's actually the father of rationalism. And he was living in a time uh, where the church was largely corrupt and governments were corrupt and it was uh, leading up to uh, the Enlightenment period and um, where he began to just radically question the basis of 
knowledge. You know, epistemology is the um, philosophical study of how you know something to be true. How do you know what you know? Yeah. And, and so we can talk about our senses, we can talk about our minds, we can talk about revelation. Of course, Descartes was, was, was a Christian man, as were all these philo early philosophers. They were not anti-God in any way. But he was just really questioning what is true, and where can I where can I find solid ground to to base my beliefs in reality? And these are good questions that philosophers used to wrestle sure. with. Sure. Um, so do I know what I know is true? Yeah. How do I know what I know is true? And if I'm questioning everything, like like so, he was a mathematician, and and the reason many of these folks loved mathematics is because two plus two equals four all the time. I mean, they they found certain truths that were they were true, you know, true to the mind. There's no other way they could not be true. In other words, they, they were they were theorems. They were foundational truths. And mathematics had that kind of certainty. So they were looking for certainty, like I mean, like mathematical certainty for the rest of life. And so Descartes questioning everything. Um, he, he, radical skepticism about everything. And finally, he came to the fact that, wait a minute, somebody is doing the questioning. Somebody is skeptical. Somebody's asking all the questions about what is true, and that somebody is me. And he came up, of course, with that famous maxim, I think, therefore I am. So somebody was doing the thinking, and the person doing the thinking must be real, and therefore that was the, for him, rational thought was the foundation of certainty. Yeah. And, but again, so how does that differ? Because Christians certainly believe in rational thought. But what's the problem with rational thought and the person doing the thinking from a Christian standpoint? Well, we're still limited. Again, we're, we, the Christian thought by itself says we are limited beings, you know. So there's a whole degree of revelation that goes beyond it's necessary. rational. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so if human beings are fallen, then that believes our emotional realm has been tainted by sin. It also believes that our thought processes right. have been tainted by sin. So, so we're, uh, rationality is not pure in and of itself because I'm still the one exercising the thought process, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, how many people have we seen scientists or whoever rationalize some way and they're like, oh, it's perfect, and someone else look at it, you're like, no. You, you, you insert so much bias into that yeah. calculus. And, and, that's, and that's the problem is that, as you talked about, the blind spot because of sin. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, yeah. but the end thereof leads to destruction. So we're, we're so blinded and our, and our thinking processes are so limited. And we have to ask this question just to get, get philosophical here. Why do you trust your rationality? Um, if your rationality is somehow cut off from God and you're the locus of, of knowledge and authority, you know, why do you trust your brain and the processes of your brain to lead you to a good conclusion? Um, so revelation, the fact that there is a God, that God has spoken, that God speaks into our culture, that God defines who we are, yeah. that God has told us that we're fallen sinful people and that our heart is deceptive and that which leads us to being deceptive in our thoughts. I mean, all of these truths are critical if we're to understand our emotions and our minds properly. Yeah. And, and we're not being anti-rationalism. We're just saying there's a, a level beyond rationalism because human beings are imperfect by nature. Right. And again, we 
need uh, a bigger constraint. We need uh, accountability, even in our rationalism. And, and, and Descartes was a believer in God. And he, yeah. he, he, he still reasoned back to God. Yeah. He wasn't, no, and he... But, 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 yeah. but the reason his thought is important is because it moved the locus of authority, of certainty, of truth from the outside world, the God-created world of revelation, to the internal world of human thought. And that, that's the seed that leads us to, along the journey of where we got and to. And I today. thought it was interesting because he was being reactionary to current culture, which was a lot of corruption, a lot of institutions that he's believed in, he's relied on, he's taken for granted, is falling apart right before his eyes. So even even his journey began, began because of corruption, because right. people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, because it, was a reaction. Got, it was a reaction to re, sin. Yeah, reaction to sin. So I mean, just the cascade of, of the sin, pendulum. just, just, yeah. Yes, so. the pendulum swinging. Yeah. Uh, and so Descartes, puts the fundamental importance on our minds and then he begins to open the door to this possibility that there could be a disagreement between mind and body and that that's really the essential role that he plays but but then we get to the second major thinker and this he's probably had the greatest influence upon where we are today and, and that is rousseau jean most people don't even know his name yeah, they, but he, they, they react to his his philosophy. They live according to his philosophy. <laughs> yeah, we 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 are little Rousseauians in our culture today because yeah. Rousseau is the epitome of the expressive individualist. He was a yeah. very uh, unique, uh, strange man, eccentric man, but very uh, uh, seminal thinker. Uh, much of a genius in many ways, self-taught, a genius in many ways, but a morally depraved person as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he. he he has been given credit as being the father of the French Revolution and also being the father of a period uh, of literature and art that's called Romanticism. So if you go back and you read the Romantic poets or the period of Romanticism and the, the literature and the art that was created during that time, much of it goes back to the uh, thinking and the ideas in Rousseau. Uh, but interestingly enough, for instance, Rousseau had five children. He didn't raise any of them. Um, I don't believe that they, uh, uh, some of them he, he fathered illegitimately. All of them were sent to uh, state-run orphanages. And in those days, if you went to a state-run orphanage as a child, you were not gonna survive. I mean, they, they were horrific places uh, of abuse and neglect. So his most basic responsibility as a father, he placed onto the state. And that's where, again, you, you see this thinking today that, that the state's job is to raise us, to take care of us, you know, from the cradle to the grave. Well, this is consistent with his worldview. Yeah, yeah, very consistent with his worldview. Uh, yeah. but, but we don't like that's That part of his worldview is, is not really dealt with. Yeah. But here's why Rousseau is important. He locates the identity of, of the inner psychology of the individual, the inner feelings of the individual as central, mm -hmm. as the ground of authority, as the place, uh, the, the locus of control, all right? The most important, the most important thing. Uh, he wrote his own version of Confessions, that, like, like Augustine before him, but it was radically different. He was basically saying, I'm going to give you an account of everything that's going on on the inside of, of, of Rousseau. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you everything I think and what, what I feel and what's going on. It was almost like a free flow of consciousness. It, some people call it the first autobiography. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
But basically, the reason it was so radical is because of the authority that was given to what he was feeling. Mm. Most people would say, you know, I'm, I, I'm feeling lust when I look at that woman, but I'm not going to say that because I know that lust is wrong. I'm not going to verbalize my feelings because I realize that there's a virtue in uh, yeah, lust no, is not good. Nor should I act on that. Nor should I act on it. Right. Absolutely. Something I struggle against. Right. I'm gonna, yeah. I, and I'm going to yeah. make my struggle internal yeah. because there's no glory in sharing the wicked yeah. feelings or desires of my heart. Yeah. But that, but for, for Rousseau, that was being inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And so we have this whole culture of authenticity today, right? But it really comes from Rousseau who said, no, we should act upon the impulses of our inner feelings because they're actually good. So, I mean, that's very revolutionary for back oh, then. Radically revolutionary. Radically, you know, from for now, it's just like, okay, whatever. But back then, I mean, when, when social norms is kind of the king, I mean, he was a he was a rebel. And we're talking about, you know, a culture that was very much into, uh, you know, pomp and circumstance yeah. and dress and, and right. the right, you know, uh, class structure. Face and, and how you look. Sa yeah, yeah, saving yeah. face Same and face, powdered yeah. wigs and yeah, yeah. All, all of the all of yeah. that. Yeah. And he just went against every convention. I mean, he was a radical. He was, yeah. a, he was a, a radical revolutionary thinker. Yeah. He, he, he was totally uh, living cross-culturally yeah. uh, and, and made a made a show uh, everywhere he went because he just he just went against every social convention yeah. possible. Um, so, for instance, we, we talked about in the book. They talk about Richard Nixon when when the public was aware of the of the Nixon transcripts of, of the tapes. Right? Uh, it said, you know, as Nixon was talking, it would say in parentheses expletive. It, it, they didn't type out the expletive because it was a curse word. So they just said expletive, deleted. And when the American public saw, my gosh, we have a president using foul language. You know, how, how unbecoming is that? In other words, if this guy in his private life uses vulgarity, why should we trust him in his public life? Now, this has completely been turned on in because modern presidents find it fashionable to use profanity at their, at their rallies. And so, um, you know, nowadays, it's, it's, a, it, it's a sign that you're being authentic. Yeah. Whereas in the past, it would have been a, an indication of a lack of character. Right. And this is, to me, kind of um, reactionary because we're, we're reactionary to how many people who've been fake, who says one thing then does another. Right. So we'll settle with not, we'll settle with someone who just says what they think. <laughs> someone who's authentically Authentic, perverted or, yeah. or crude. We'll take that over someone who's going to cheat on us, you know, and, right, and, right, and because right. we're, we're reactionary to, how about someone who says what they're going to do and actually do it, right. you know? That yeah. kind of authenticity is yeah. good. Yeah, so, but it's just so, it's just interesting where our, 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 our we drift. We were reactionary to whatever we last I mean again I think being reactionary is, is again it's not great because you're not you're, you're reacting to something else that's why again the blind spot is we have a human being has infinite capacity for blind spot because even when you try to do the most good sometimes you're being reactionary you don't even know it you know you're swimming so you're, you're you're pushing that pendulum to one one string right you don't even know it but see even even the blind spots suggest that there are areas of our life which which we're not aware of but that need that are that are harmful. Yeah. Rousseau probably would not agree with the whole notion of a blind spot because he, there there are no blind spots to the individual who's simply expressing their real self. Because yeah. your real self becomes the gold standard. Right. And so we see here a radical shift in Christian thinking by Rousseau because he basically rejects the whole idea 
of natural depravity. Human beings are not born evil. Human beings are born good, and then they're corrupted by evil institutions. Yeah. It, it's the family that's evil. Now, it's interesting. We pointed out Rousseau did not believe that the state was evil. He actually believed that the state's job was to force men to become free, mm -hmm. uh, which is a paradox. It's, it's the introduction of government and forced tyranny for your own good. Yeah. The state's going to be the liberator. The family and the church were institutions that he hated largely because of the morality that they promoted. Morality was viewed as the external conformity that forced me to become something that I'm not. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so, of course, Rousseau's most famous phrase, and maybe some of you have heard this, is this, man is born free, and yet everywhere he is in chains. His idea was with the idea of the noble savage, that if human beings were just left in their in their own, uh, you know, like their 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 Adam and Eve uh, Garden of Eden, pristine created yeah. realm, you know, that Native they would, realm, yeah, yeah that, that the noble savage would would lead a wonderful, authentic, beautiful life. Uh, of course, we know that that's not true because the noble savage is not noble. He's just, just a savage. Yeah. He has fought. We are fallen. Our hearts are, are deceitfully wicked. Uh, we're conceived in sin. I mean, the Bible's clear about about the problem of human nature. Uh, we have good, but we're also fallen. And so we have evil resident within the human heart. But Rousseau rejected all of that. He said the problems were external. The problems were the environment. Um, if people society. are society, all the evil institutions, institutions, yeah, and, family, and, and of course, the, you know, Rousseau's ideas led to the French Revolution, um, which was a bloodbath. In fact, I want to quote here from uh, Chuck Colson's book, how, "How Now Shall We Live." He said, Robespierre, who led the reign of terror that overtook the French Revolution in 1793, grasped Rousseau's logic all too well. He and his fellow Jacobins understood Rousseau's call for force to include condemnation and execution of all who opposed the new order, resulting in the imprisonment of 300,000 nobles, priests, and political dissidents, and the deaths of 17,000 citizens within a year. So Rousseau's ideas were taken by his contemporaries to lead into a revolution that was by government force that led to the slaughter uh, of thousands and thousands of people. And, and these folks hated government, uh, at least the old government, and they hated religion. This, you know, very much of what's happening in America today is, a, is the spirit of the French Revolution. Yeah. It is unbridled self-expression. It is the hatred of any kind of uh, morality, any institutions that put any limitations on self-expression, the family and the church and, and uh, the conservative state that's, that's yeah. ruled on the basis of law. Um, and we see this big push today. Uh, it's really a Rousseauian push for how government should function. Right. And this whole notion of burn it all down, you know, where we see uh, destroy the system. Uh, and use violence if necessary. It's very much Rousseauian. And you and I just had this discussion. This this process of creating, using the the, the arms of the government to liberate people 
so that people can be the authentic self simply doesn't work. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand it. I mean, you see it in our world today. You use the strong arms of tech companies or corporate America or or uh, the political culture, or whatever, to destroy um, this institution. And what you do is you erect another institution that simply takes its place. And this institution is forbidding free speech and cancel culture, which is no longer allowing free expressions of people who oppose your views. Yeah. It's like a universal acid, to use the term again, you know, and, and one of the things the authors brought out in their book, and you and I talked about this, this Rousseauian concept does not produce a common uh, shared life experience. It's a lousy foundation for government because if I'm trying to be authentic and you're trying to be authentic and, yeah. and be true to you, then you and I are automatically adversarial from the start because Absolutely. you're you're a threat to my authenticity. Yep. And I'm a threat to your authenticity. Now that's just on, that's just two of us. Right. Imagine what what happens when we have a world. Right. I mean, you so you you destroy all all the dissenting voices. Are you never going to have dissenting voices again? You always going to have dissenting voices in yeah, this world. And why is it that our authenticity is never embraced. Well, because we don't have the, as big a microphone. We don't have the money. We don't have the political influence. So it's not all authenticity is celebrated. Yeah. It's just authenticity that lines up with your view of reality, your view of, of, right. of society. So to those who really truly buy into it, and they're not, there's people who just use this philosophy as a as a vessel to promote what they want. It's really about right. power. Right. There are some, I think there are some who truly, you know, more naively believe in these authentic views. You gotta be able to, in our culture today, see the cancel culture has canceled all kind of authenticity saying hey I, you can't say this you can't say this that's hey that's blah 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 just because you're throwing some some label it doesn't mean that that's not authentic to who they are are you committed to authenticity or are you committed to power and that's the question i want to ask and that's that's what annoys me because you can see this logic you have one regime that comes to liberate the people the regime becomes twice as bad as the, right. the previous regime i like that are you committed to authenticity or is it really just a screen if you truly are committed oh. to authenticity you realize this process does not actually release authenticity 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 in itself has limitations because of what you just said. Right. And if two authentic people have authentically different ideas about how they want to express themselves right. that are in conflict, how do you solve or resolve that issue? This is where there has to be a meta narrative, there has to be a larger. Uh, a story. Yeah. There has to be a, an outside source of truth that actually speaks into our context. And the Bible provides all of this. We live in a God-created world. God created human beings. God has spoken in the word. He's, he's communicated to us how we should live. And, and he's given us a basis for the common good. Um, he's given us an external source of, of reality that helps us interpret what's going on on the inside. At the same time, validating what's going on on the inside, but also providing some boundaries for that expression. And if you throw God out, we all become little gods, all in, a in search of power and pleasure and all these other things that, uh, that compete uh, for, for uh, expression in the world. And, uh, and the world becomes a very ugly, uh, bloody place, whereas you've said many, many times on this podcast that the end goal becomes raw power and we're going to yeah, we're going to talk about that in our next session because we're going to look at a couple of thinkers who have really laid the foundation
for what that looks like when we reject God uh, and, and, and the bloodshed and the power and the, the values that emerge in that void are really ugly and scary. Yeah. So anyway, we hope this has been helpful to you and hope, we hope it's a good biblical analysis and treatment of what's really going on and how, how we got to the crazy world that we're living in today and provide a, a, a tool for uh, what we need to do to rebuild a culture that is centered in Christ, centered in the word of God. Uh, and it promotes true life. So anyway, have a great week. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this to be helpful, please share it with other people. And don't forget to let your voice be heard. Be salt and light as it relates to the whole issue of abortion in Indiana uh, and the, the part that we play in creating a culture of life. So until next week, have a great week.